Guys, it's great to be here with you this morning. Uh, if you're just tuning in, my name is Andy. I'm the lead pastor here at High Point Church. We're streaming online. Excited uh, to be with you next week in person uh, for our uh, in-person service at the 1808. It's the historic church uh, in downtown Kennesaw. Uh, but right now we're streaming online and we'll be streaming uh, online in some of the coming weeks as well throughout the summer. Uh, we have monthly services planned uh, at our new venue, which we're super excited about. And, and frankly, if I can just get into it, you know, in September, what we're calling the grand reopening of High Point, um, we can't wait to see what God is going to do uh, through you in our church and in our community. It's going to be a great time. I really set this place uh, ablaze with the St. Louis Cardinals <laughs> comment. Okay. All right, guys, here's the deal. I know everybody is kind of going crazy right now. There's a few things that I want to make you aware of. Um, obviously, this is High Point Online. Uh, if you are new, uh, if you see this link at a later time, um, we would love to help you get connected. And I and I mean that. I don't. I'm not selling you something here, but the church is a, is something for us to be connected in. And so here's what I want to encourage you. You're going to see the the the, uh, the link in the comments here in just a moment. You can also text. HP info to 97,000. For those of you that are using your phones right now, go ahead and do that. And you'll see all these different links that are available to you uh, to help you get connected and help you get growing. Here's the other thing. I've got a lot of verses I'm going to read today. And it's I don't have slides to put up in front of you. And that's just due to some of the technical challenges that we had. But we created a link tree. Uh, moment when you text HP info to 97,000 and you can look at all the verses and the big ideas, sermon notes straight from your phone or your device. If you do that, uh, makes it easy, makes it clean for you. Um, so that's that big news. Okay. And I told you I had a, a couple things to hit here. Um, our service times at high point are changing. Let's go. All right. We are shifting times to 930 and 11 o'clock. And that starts next Sunday. OK, our in-person services are at 930 and 11 o'clock. And next week we have a moment for a, gra a graduation honoring moment at the 11 o'clock service. You don't want to miss it. It's going to be a great time uh, where we honor our graduates. And, uh, you know, our church is growing. There's lots of good things taking place. And so that's happening uh, this next Sunday. Woo! Buckle up. The last announcement before we get into the message is that today at 12 o'clock at Swift Control Park, we have our end of year school party for HP Kids. It's at Swift Control. Uh, I am rocking a tie dye shirt right now in honor of High Point Kids. We had a tie dye night. And so, uh, if kids, if you're watching, moms and dads, if you're watching, this is the perfect moment for them to wear their tie-dye shirt. So come wear it. I'm sporting one right now uh, to cheer HP kids on. And there might even be an opportunity to throw a pie at the HP kids director's beautiful face today. You will have that opportunity. It's going to be a great time. I know some of you are like, if it was Pastor Andy, I'd be all in. But Amy... Not so much. That's generally true. <laughs> All right. Here we go. Um, 
Here's what's happening today. Turn to Acts chapter four. And as we transition into a time of worship and getting into the message today, uh, I'm going to pray for us. And um, I believe that God actually, in light of us having a lot of fun this morning, one of the things that we love to do at High Point Church is we love to have fun. We love to celebrate, but we're also not afraid to get into the Bible. God has something very specific for us. Uh, it's timely for us as a church, and we're going to get into it here in just a moment. Let's pray and let's transition into a time uh, of, of worship and reverence to God Almighty. Can we do that? Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for this moment on YouTube together where we can uh, get into the Bible together, where we can grow together. We can even have fun together. God, I pray that the scriptures would come alive to us. I pray that we would wrestle through it um, and God, that we would grow as brothers and sisters in Christ today. Holy Spirit, move in our homes, wherever we're watching from. Lord, I pray that you would move. Amen. Everybody said, amen. I see some of you are saying that this looks like a white tea. All right. It's, it's tied natural light. It's just the beauty. It's the natural light uh, that's taking place. I'm not deceiving you, as you will see in a moment. We're going to talk about deception here uh, in just a moment. Before we do, I want to uh, I want to call attention to something this week. I dropped a post on social about your favorite recess game. I got way more comments than I was anticipating. Everything from games I'd never even heard of, like 500, um, courtesy of one Kellen Shervington. I, some Canadian friends dropped by to say throwing hockey cards. Uh, I even got YouTube tutorial videos on what some of these games were. Okay, everything from monkey bars to jumping off the swings uh, to soccer and football, all the things. But there's one game that I want to call attention to, and that is Red Rover. Uh, Red Rover, Red Rover. And I don't know if you remember the, the most dangerous recess game of all time, right? It's called Red Rover. And you would have basically one side of the field, you know, everyone's locked arms together, and they've created as much of a human barrier as they can. And then they call for somebody to come running, and that person's job is to break through the barrier. Red Rover, Red Rover, send Robbie on over or whoever it is, right? And Robbie goes running as hard as he can and he tries to break, you know, the arm barrier. And it always ended up with a just terrific clothesline. You know, the kid that like flips over the, the barrier of people. There were always tears. There were always people crying and people having to go to the nurse's office. This was Red Rover. Um, we laugh about it. I don't know if people still play it anymore. But the truth is, it illustrates something that we're going to talk about today. And that is the strength of people when they come together, when they are unified, when people link arm in arm. Just physically speaking, we see such an immense just release of strength and, and power, right? And this, this element, this, this spiritual truth is, is true, not just, well, not just physically, but spiritually. And that's what we're talking about today, the strength of the early church, the strength of a people when they come together. It's very difficult to break through that thing when people are unified. 
Now, I don't know if you've been a part of an organization when there is not unity. It is stressful. It's difficult. It's unenjoyable, right? And then the, the flip side is also true. You hear sports teams talking about the unity that, that was on their team. You know, they just were, it was like they were one spirit, one mind, one body. And unity is a big deal. In fact, I would argue that, that unity is more important than talent even. Talent, it can take you places. But man, when you have people firing on all cylinders together with one purpose, one goal, it is amazing what can happen. It's powerful. So turn to Acts 4.32. Um, we see in the early church um, that all the believers, the Bible says, were united in heart and mind. All the believers were united in heart and mind. The church has just been established. And the church is what we would say, it's crushing right now. It's growing. People are getting baptized. People are, you know, they're meeting in homes. Uh, there's people preaching and teaching in the temple. Um, we're seeing miracles signs and wonders. People who are paralyzed are walking. People who are blind are seeing demon-possessed are getting set free. Everything that, that you would want to see is taking place. Uh, there, there, there's even social initiatives in the sense that like, you know, people who are poor are being taken care of. There's no, there's literally no need that's, that, that, that's taking place in this moment. Uh, they're meeting in each other's homes. They're eating together. They're having fun together. The church is rocking and rolling. And we get in Acts chapter 4, verse 36, an actual illustration of that. We get a picture of it. In verse 36, this is what the scriptures say. For instance, there was Joseph, the one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi, Levi and came from the island of Cyprus. He sold a field he owned and brought the money to the apostles. So unbelievable community and, and just unbelievable unity, so much so that they're, they're so singular in their purpose that Joseph, Barnabas, the son of encouragement, he's like, I got this field. I'm going to go sell it. I don't need it. And somebody else can benefit from it. And so he goes, he sells it, and he brings, you know, the, the, the proceeds. He brings the profit to, to the, the apostles, to the church. We see, you know, the, the community of God benefiting from it. And then we get the next verse, chapter 5. We see the words, Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. The scriptures are wanting you and I in this moment to understand that there is about to be contrast. You have Barnabas who just sold a field, and now you also have someone else. Their names are Ananias and Sapphira. You might even, the scriptures, uh, the version that you're reading from might even use the word but, B-U-T comma. You know, the, the, in other words, understand there is about to be a comparison that is taking place place. Verse two of chapter five, with his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself. And they sold a field just like Barnabas. But he brought the rest and he put it at the apostles' feet. 
Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that, that Satan has so filled your heart that you've lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? In other words, God didn't make you do this. Like you could have sold the field or not. It was totally up to you. And once you sold the field, giving what you wanted in this moment was fully up to you. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold and after it was sold? Wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You haven't lied just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. We see the first real, uh, well, it's, it's too light of a word to use in this moment, but a, a bump, right? We, we, we see the church that's just crushing, that's, that's hitting on all cylinders. It's unified. All of the sudden, it experiences its first major roadblock. And it's not just like a systems issue or a growth problem. This issue results in someone dying. It's serious. It's heavy. And these are the kinds of texts that we don't like to talk about. When we're putting together a sermon series, it's easy to read that and be like, mm, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just move past chapter five, you know, and get to the fun stuff, the relationship. They're breaking bread. They're giving. They're generous. There's miracles. There's great preaching, all these things. We don't like to talk about the fact that something happened inside the church. God judged it and people ended up dead because of it. This is intense. But as we talk about our church coming together and being the church that God desires, we want to look at some of the foundational truths that we see at work in the early church. The early church was not perfect. It had loads of problems, loads. But when you see God doing something so significant like he's doing here, this should cause us to hit the brakes and ask some really hard questions. And I want you to know, I may leave you today with more questions than answers. That's okay. You may really be bothered by this message today. Also, okay. I also want to invite you to ask hard questions. Okay, we are a church. Uh, High Point is the kind of place where you can bring tough questions to the table. God is, is a big God and he can handle it. Our leadership team can handle it. We may not have all the answers to everything, but understand God is big enough for you to bring big questions. Ask him, wrestle with it. We need to in this moment because there's something I believe that the church needs to recapture in this moment. The story's not done. Ananias, Sapphira, and Barnabas were, 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 were to understand that they're kind of on the outside look similar. What are they all doing? They're selling property and they're bringing the proceeds to the church because they're all seemingly unified in one heart and in one mind. But what we see with Ananias is that in Sapphira, there's a preconceived plan that gets worked out. 
They work the details out here in order to present themselves as more spiritual and holy than they actually are. And God does not take this lightly. Deep in their heart lingers a love of money and a desire for people's praise. We can presume uh, in a healthy manner that there is a desire for them to gain something in the eyes of their fellow brothers and sisters. They want to look a certain way. And so this is where we find ourselves in Acts chapter 5, heading now into verse 7. About three hours later, his wife came in. This is Ananias' wife, Sapphira. Not knowing what had happened, Peter, he asked her, tell me, is this the price that you and Ananias got for the lamb? She's still got a moment here. She says, yes, that's the price. In other words, they had worked this out in detail. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. That last verse, that last sentence is incredibly key for us understanding what God is doing in this moment. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Here's my hope in this message today. As we look at just foundational truths and foundational building blocks for the church, it's not that we would be afraid when we come together for worship that someone's gonna be judged and, and die for their sin, but that we would recapture what it means to have a holy and righteous fear of this God that we serve. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. When, when I read this passage, the, the, the natural tendency for most of us is to think like, oh my gosh, how can God do this? God is so harsh. God is so mean. That's my initial reaction, right? But we, we, we have become a culture that has so prioritized to the, the, the supremacy of everything else, love and mercy, and specifically love that makes you feel a certain way, that anything that, 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 that feels uncomfortable, that's difficult, that's painful, it cannot possibly be love. And so we emphasize love and mercy and compassion, but we do so, if we're not careful, to the expense of everything else that God's character represents. And in this moment, we see two things at work. We see, we see God's kingdom power on display. Leading up to this moment, we see miracle signs and wonder that the church is coming together, the beauty of the church. And it emphasizes God's love, his compassion, his kindness. But in this moment, we see a different aspect of God emphasized. We see his holiness. We see his purity. We see his discipline. And these elements, these, these qualities of God are essential for the church being who God has called us to be. 
when I read this, I think to myself, how is it that God, how is it that Jesus can forgive Peter who denied knowing him three times, betrayed him, and yet Peter is restored? And yet Ananias and Sapphira seemingly do something that in my mind as a Westerner seems kind of like, okay, like they sold a field and, you know, they worked up a little plan. Yeah, that's not good. But the reality is they, they made themselves look better than they actually were. In other words, they deceived their brothers and sisters. And there's a part of me that just looks at that and thinks, is it really that big of a deal? And this is part of the problem. And my heart then begins to judge God in this moment. And here's what I want to do as we begin to, to look at the pattern of God throughout the scriptures is that, is that we read this passage and we think, what's wrong with God? Rather than reading this passage and coming to the conclusion and saying, oh my gosh, Ananias and Sapphira died for their sin. How is it that I have been spared? How is it that I'm still alive? If I have the proper understanding and revelation of who God truly is, his holiness, his righteousness, his purity, if I truly understand that and therefore have a better understanding and revelation of the magnitude of my sin before a perfect and holy God, the issue is not, God, what's wrong with you? The issue is, God, how is it that I am even still alive? Thank you for your mercy towards me. Thank you for your compassion. If we're going to understand this, let's take it all the way back to the Garden of Eden. We're going to rewind the tape, okay? When Adam and Eve, when they were, they were walking with God and they had perfect relationship with him. And we see God, what's he doing? He's forming, he's formed the first people. And these people, Adam and Eve, had a purpose in the garden. They were to work the garden. Adam even was given the task of naming the animals. They walked in perfect relationship with God in the coolness of the day. So what do you have? At the onset, you have a people being formed, and you have that people given a purpose. People, purpose, and what immediately comes knocking but temptation. Temptation to sin. And Adam and Eve are deceived by the serpent in the garden. And in just a moment, those who have who were deceived now become the deceivers. Because what is it they do? They, 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 take, um, they take fig leaves and they try to hide themselves from God's presence. They try to hide. They try to cover things up. People with a purpose, and the sin that they committed, the consequence of it, what is it? It's death. For the very first time, death enters the world. Now, Adam and Eve don't specifically die in this very moment, but now, for the first time ever, they're going to experience death. 
Paul talks about that the wages of sin in Romans is death. People who have a purpose, yet they sin, they deceive. They are deceived and then they try to do the deceiving. And that sin is felt literally through the camp of humanity the rest of time. You move forward uh, and and you see in the book of Joshua, uh, we see God's people now. They've grown. They're being formed now as a nation and they're walking into the promised land. They are a people, not just Adam and Eve, not just a family, but now the, the very people of God, the nation of God. And they've crossed the Jordan River and they are a people and they're a people with a purpose. And that purpose is to represent God's perfect holiness they're to represent his purity to, a, to, to all the nations of the world that are idolatrous. They are supposed to represent a different kind of relationship with their heavenly creator. And the first act that they have uh, as they cross the Jordan River is to, is to go to battle in the city of Jericho. And God gives them directions. And he says, listen, don't take any loot for yourselves. This is devoted to me. In this moment, the first battle, all the spoils bring them to the temple. It's a big deal. And there's a young man by the name of Achan who is greatly tempted beyond what he can bear in this moment. He steals a robe and he steals silver and he steals gold from Jericho and he gets it back to his tent and he buries it and hides it in the ground. And what we see in this moment is a people called with a purpose. And the minute that purpose is established and they start doing something, what comes knocking? Temptation. Temptation comes knocking. And he caves to it. And he deceives his brothers and sisters. He pretends to be holy. He pretends that the victory is the Lord's. He pretends to be obedient. Meanwhile, he has gold and silver and robes and et cetera, et cetera, buried in his tent. And God judges this sin ever so severely. Why? Because deception has entered the camp. Adam and Eve deception entered the people of God. And now we have Achan and what has happened? Deception has entered the camp and the the, the people of God. It's on the inside. And God judges this sin ever so severely. And Achan and his family die for it. Once again, what do we see? We see the price of sin being established. But also more than that, we see God's righteousness. We see his holiness being put on display. God takes this seriously. In fact, uh, as in Joshua 7, 13, uh, God says this, he says, get up, command the people to purify themselves. Be pure in preparation for tomorrow, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, hidden among you, O Israel, are things set apart for the Lord, for me. You will never defeat your enemies until you remove these things from among you. In other words, unless you deal with this, you will never be able to do what I've called you to do and be who I've called you to be. This must be dealt with. Deception and hypocrisy within the four walls of God's people 
It's a big deal. God does not treat it lightly. In fact, one of the big ideas today for you is that God takes hypocrisy in his church seriously because he takes the purity of his people seriously. That's intense. <laughs> That's a lot for us. God, God loves you. You have to hear this. He is a forgiving God. He is a gracious and, and compassionate God. The Bible says he's slow to anger. But he also, uh, we, we also understand that at the onset of God birthing a people, birthing Adam and Eve, birthing a nation, and now birthing his church, God wants us to understand that he and the, 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 the us, our relationship with him, we're not just bros. My relationship with God is not where he's just my dude or my bro or my chum, my pal or my buddy. No, he is God Almighty. And he does not take sin lightly, especially sin. And I'm making, this is an earmark this moment, especially the kind of sin where people who are calling themselves Christ's ambassadors, representatives of God, now move forward with an attempt to deceive their fellow brothers and sisters. This is not small. Hypocrisy and deception within the church, towards the church, is not a small issue. And consequently, in all of these moments, we see a newfound, fresh fear of God established. Fear of who he is, knowing who he is. My, my dad, I remember this moment with my father. Um, I'll share this story and then we're going to land the plane today. <sighs> when I was probably about nine, maybe eight or nine years old, you know, every, maybe not every son, but my sons have done this. I did this where you just, you don't fully grasp what your relationship with dad is like. <laughs> and you think you can joke maybe in a certain way that crosses the line. And my dad and I were best friends, close. Um, and no one has had a greater impact on me as a, as a person than my father. And, but I remember when my daddy was really walking out the door to work uh, one day. And I thought it would be really funny to shout down the hallway something very insulting as it pertains to my father's weight. My dad was a big guy, okay? You could just about stick a quarter through his wedding ring, okay? Hold your hand up for a minute. Try sticking a quarter through your wedding ring. Big hands, big guy, okay? And I thought, oh, this will be hilarious. You know, in front of sister, mom, whoever, I just shout something. I won't even repeat it here because it's not worth repeating. Um, something very, very demeaning and insulting to my dad. <laughs> and you know that moment when silence hits a room and you, you're incredibly aware that something is not right. I just misstepped. I maybe don't fully understand what I did, but I am aware that something is now wrong. A fear of dad immediately begins to creep into your soul. And my dad, while gracious and compassionate, I'm alive, okay, didn't die in the, that moment, but he helped me understand something. 
that my relationship with Father, while yes, we do have a friendship, there is also a respect and an awe and a line that is never to be crossed as a son to a father. That doesn't mean that our relationship cannot grow or or, or blossom or bloom or that I felt unloved or uncared for or unprotected or unsafe. I didn't feel like my father was violent or or somehow that that he was going to come home later that day and still be holding this thing against me. No, I didn't feel that, but I have never forgotten this moment. Here I am at 40 years of age, and I and it still rings true in my heart and my soul. My father reestablished this relationship by helping me know that dad, father, there is a respect that is to always be upheld in this moment. One of the Ten Commandments is what? To honor your father and your mother. And it will go well with you. But we've lost this in our culture, right? The idea of honoring mother and and, and honoring father, the idea that, that God, our heavenly father, isn't just your bro. That he isn't just your guy, that he is to be respected and that there is a sense of awe and that there is a sense of, of God at any moment you could. I'm thankful that you don't, but God, I deserve death. It is what I deserve. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for what you have done for me. I know who I am in light of your perfect holiness and your perfect righteousness. There is none like you, God. There's no one like you. Far be it from me to trivialize or make my sin small in light of you. And far be it from me to walk with a hypocritical posture, trying to present myself to people who call themselves Christians, trying to make myself look more holy and righteous than I am. No, no, no. I am a sinner absolutely saved by nothing more than God's grace. That's who I am. And that's who you are. Nothing more and nothing less. You cannot hide your heart from God. You cannot do it. You can't hide your heart from God. Hebrews 4 says that nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. You cannot fake God. You can't juke him. You can't outfake him. In fact, how about this? Your attempt, you remember what Peter says here in the scriptures? He says, you didn't just lie to people. You lied to God. In other words, I am not God. As I've seen as the lead pastor of our church, hear me with great clarity. I am not the Lord. I do not, I don't get to be him in any capacity. Lord, I want to make sure you hear that, Okay. But when you intentionally set out to deceive the church, brothers and sisters, not just leadership, right? But fellow brothers and sisters, God treats your deception towards his people as the same way as if you're trying to deceive him. He equates the two. It's a big deal. 
He takes hypocrisy in his church seriously because he takes the purity of his people seriously. Why does this matter? Because we are called to be a people with a purpose representing this amazing God to a broken and sin-ravaged world. Galatians 6 says, don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. Meaning you will not get the best of God. You're not going to outdo him or outsmart him or fake him out. He will not be mocked. Charles Finney says that to pretend to love and serve God when we don't, to act in a false manner, to be insincere and hypocritical in our professions, pretending to obey him, love, serve, and worship when we do not, this is mocking God and grieves the Holy Spirit and sears the conscience and thus the bands of sin become stronger and stronger. The heart becomes gradually hardened by such a process. So what do we do? Well, sin has drastic consequences. So the good news this morning is that you get to take drastic consequence against it. If sin has drastic consequences, then let our heart take drastic measure as well. Excuse me, I think I voiced that wrong. Sin has drastic consequence, so take drastic action against it. Let our heart take drastic actions as well. Here's my, my final verse to you in, in this moment. John, one of the apostles, he writes that this is the message we've heard from him, from Jesus. And we declare to you, God is light in him. There is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and we do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, what does it do? It purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. There's that deception again. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we haven't sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. So what are the drastic actions that we get to take today? That Ananias and Sapphira were unwilling to take. That Achan was unwilling to take. That Judas Iscariot, the apostle, the one who walked with Jesus, the keeper of the money bag, as he tried to deceive, once again, the disciples, the brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ, the Lord himself. What, what did they do? What did they not do that we get to do? They would not walk in the light. They wouldn't confess their struggle, their difficulty, the thing that was knocking on the door of their heart. What is it that God says to Cain and Abel, right? The sons of Adam and Eve, sin is crouching at your door. It's knocking. It desires to have you. What should you do about it? Bring this to your heavenly father. Bring it out of the darkness and into the light. Stop hiding it. Stop trying to make it your own little pet and try to, you know, make it this own little passive thing that you're going to have under control. Don't do that. Address that thing. 
You got a life group that you're a part of, bring it to your life group. Bring it to your friend. Bring it to your pastor. Confess your sin and let's deal with the things that Satan is knocking on the door of our hearts about. Let us not present ourselves in a way that's untrue. That's not who God has called us to be. Abandon pretense. And whatever you do, don't use the church as a means of deception to try to better your own situation. It is hypocritical and God, he lets it being known at the beginning of each people establishment, the people of God, the nation of God, and the church of God, that he does not treat hypocrisy lightly. Reject it. Run to Jesus. Run to Jesus in your prayer time, in your word time. What is it that John says? It says that Jesus purifies us from all of our sin. Run from it and run to him. This is what we must have foundationally in the life of a church, in the life of the global church, but also the life of high point church. Man, we hate sin and we love Jesus. We're honest with one another, truthful. We reject trying to present ourselves as something that we're not. It's Jesus who purifies us. Yeah, we got lots of problems, lots of issues, but I'm not gonna try to pretend. This is who I am. Jesus has saved me. He's made me new. It is the bedrock of our faith. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, in this moment, I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're moving. God, I thank you even right now that there are things that you're knocking on the door of our heart about. Things we've been trying to just mask or things that we've been trying to hold on to. But I pray right now that you give us courage. Courage from the Holy Spirit to confess our sin, not only to you, God, but to a trusted brother and sister. God, help us in this moment. Help us to love you, to cherish you. God, I pray for a healthy fear of God or that our relationship with you would be honoring, truthful, filled with grace and love and mercy, God, but also respect and awe. There's no one like you. We thank you that you are a God who forgives. And that you are also a God who is serious about sin. So help us to reject it and to run to you with everything we have today. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen, High Point family, High Point Church. God might be knocking on the door of your heart today. That's a good thing. Don't squander this moment. If you need prayer, then reach out in this moment. You can do so in the comment section. You can text HPINFO to 97000. There you've got an opportunity to fill out a, a, a way, a means of prayer. Someone can, one of our volunteers will reach out to you. Don't let this moment pass you by. Some of you watching may need to just repent. 
Put your faith in Jesus anew and afresh. Do it. Say, Jesus, you're my king, and I turn from everything to follow you. That's what it looks like. So do it. Text HP info to 97,000 today. All the things for you to get connected and involved are there. Thank you.